You're listening to one of the sermons preached from Shalom Baptist Chapel, recorded at one of our worship services. Welcome once again to our Prime Through Trial series, and we are ending today. Hey, let me ask you, as we end today, how many of you have gone out to eat in five, in groups of five after 21st November? All right, I see some of you. Great. Here is my first eat out in groups of five after 21st November. Why is it that? Victory. Okay, we wait for the picture to come out because I want to show you my first eat out in groups of five after 21st November. Here comes the picture. Next slide. Problem. Time's the signal. Oh, yes. Oh, no, no, go back. Yes, that's one. Yeah, that's the right one. Okay. And uh, yeah, it was nice to eat in uh, groups of five. It, it was, it's been, it's been a while, right? And um, uh, do you see that? It's quite interesting, isn't it? The way we were seated, we were seated in one row, in one straight line. And then someone commented, you know, like we are as if, like it's as if, like it's a mini Last Supper of Jesus Christ. And I'm like, yeah, you are right. Then guess what? As you would see from the picture, they wanted me to sit in the center, in the middle, and, and said, Pastor, you are the most, you know, uh, appropriate guy to be like the Jesus. And I said, I don't want, but of course, you know, as you can tell from the picture, I failed. You know, I was forced to sit, but I told them I don't want to sit in the middle. I don't want to be like Jesus because I don't want to die. But more so, I said to them, I don't want to be betrayed by any one of you. But well, you know, um, thankfully, no one betrayed me. In fact, one of them treated me quite well, you know, served me a fruit platter. How about that? All right. So it's, it's good to be like Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But jokes aside... Uh, when you go out in a restaurant um, and you order a food, do you know what is one of the common things that you would see uh, in the uh, menu? Uh, you know, when you go to the restaurant, they will give you a menu. Do you, do you know what's, what's, what's the common thing that you can find in almost all the menus in the restaurant? Again, someone said eggs, rice, anyone else? Dollars and cents, wow. Okay, all of you are correct, okay? And then you may be thinking like, how can everyone be correct, right? But well, it is. But what I wanted to highlight to you is simply this. The add-ons, that's right, right over there. Can you see it? The add-ons. Let me show you a couple of uh, the uh, menus, other menus, all right? Now I know you are already hungry. You are thinking of your lunch plan after the service. Let me show you one more, all right? Here it is. Right, you see the, uh, the main dish right at the center and then below uh, the choose from the add-ons. Now what are add-ons? Add-ons are simply what? Additional items to the main dish, right? And sometimes you...
Many of us, prayer is like the add-ons that we can find in the menu. There is prayer in our lives, definitely. But just imagine, I just want to clarify. Is there anyone who has never prayed in your life as a Christian? I believe no, right? So you see, there is prayer in the menu of our lives because it is good to have, but most of the time we don't choose prayer. Given the choice, we don't choose prayer from the menu of our lives. Because, well, truth be told, for many of us, it is not a must-have item or because it is not a necessary part of our life because prayer is or have simply become an add-on item in the menu of our life. And today, as we end our series, Triumph Through Trial, James exhorts us as he did to the early church, on the importance and necessity of prayer, especially in the context of trials in life. In other words, if we want to triumph through trials, then my brothers and sisters, my friends, prayer must, it must be the main dish. It must become the main dish in the menu of our Christian life. You see, we may know all the practical steps to take in responding to trials. All the past 17 messages from this series, come on. They are so practical. If you would just devote your time to go and learn, you will find so many practical gems on how to respond to trials in life from the past 17 messages. But unless prayer becomes the main thing, unless prayer becomes the main dish in the menu of our life, we cannot, brothers and sisters, I hate to say this, but we cannot experience triumph through trials as James wants us to. And the reason for that is, as we would see later, prayer is the only channel by which God supplies the power necessary for us to triumph through trials. And that is why in today's text, James exhorts the early church and us to make prayer the main dish in the menu of our life. And guess what? James was not beating around the bush. James is very, as you would know right by now, James is head on. He doesn't beat around the bush. He's straight to the point. And so James was very specific even when he was exhorting us to pray. Because from today's text, which is James chapter 5, verse 13 to 20, we can derive four directions, four specific directions in which James exhorts us to pray. And for this reason, I have entitled my message for today as this. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Take it to the Lord in prayer. And James exhorts us in four specific ways. Here they are. Take it to the Lord in prayer for our sufferings. Take it to the Lord in prayer for the sick. Take it to the Lord in prayer for what? Each other's sins. And finally, take it to the Lord in prayer for the ones swaying away or wandering away. Let me unpack them one at a time. The first one, take it to the Lord in prayer for our sufferings. This is what James said in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Right? James said, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Now, James, like Paul, uh, is teaching us to pray in every circumstance, right? James is basically telling us that our response, listen to this. James is basically telling us that our response to suffering ought to be what? Seeking for God's comfort through prayer and our response to happy times ought to be seeking for God's what? God's glory through praise. And talking about praise, I know that because of this COVID and because of all the restrictions, we have somewhat lost the art of praising God through singing, haven't we? For those of you who are watching online, I hope you haven't 
because you have the freedom to sing as loud as you can. Don't care whether it is, you know, out of the pitch or whatever, you know. But for, for those of us who come on site, I hope that this is a reminder for us that even though we may not be able to sing out, that we will still sing in our hearts and wait for that day for the government to say that now you can sing with masks on and then we will truly sing. I hope that the day will not come and then when the government says you can sing and then we come and then we don't know how to sing. And please, please, don't deceive yourself to say that, well, I don't sing because I don't know how to sing. Please, there is no such thing as I don't know how to sing. Everyone can sing. Ratatouille, anyone watched that movie? Anyone can cook, right? See if anyone can cook, anyone can sing, okay? <laughs> All right? But I hope that, that, that this brings an, a reminder for us the importance of praise. In other words, James is exhorting us to turn to God in prayer in every circumstance, whether in joy or sorrow, whether in our highs or in our lows. Prayer is and will always be the right response, especially for us as Christians. And as cliche as it may sound, but brothers and sisters in Christ, until and unless we learn the art of praying we will miss a lot of things. And I think that's what James is trying to imply here. Prayer will always be the right response. But that's the problem, isn't it? Because to be honest, prayer is not our immediate response in every circumstance, is it? It is not, right? So why is that the case? Or let me ask you a personal question, all right? Are you ready for that? Here it is. When is the hardest time for you to pray? That's right, you heard me correctly. When is the hardest time for you to pray to God? Let me guess. Perhaps for some of you, it is when you go through some really, really, really tough times. Some, kinds of, some kind of trial, some kind of persecution, some kind of suffering that weighs you down physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally. It wears you and, and, and it, you, you get so worn out that it becomes so hard for you to bring yourself to that place called prayer and pray to God. I mean, prayer will be the last thing because you are so worn out of that suffering, whatever that is. Or for some of you, it is when you are too busy, right? In Singapore is like, you know, if you say you are not busy, it's like you are not, you are not normal, that kind of stuff, you know? But, but, and, and, and I, I, I would say that's reality. And there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong about being busy. But for some of us, the hardest time to pray is when we are busy, when we are too busy with our work. Shift after shift, project after project, trip after trip, promotion after promotion, you name it. It just, it, it just doesn't end. The business, it just gets worse. And with COVID, wow, manpower. <laughs> now you are doing two men's job, three men's job for some of you. So you are even more busy. It's, for some of you, it's when you are too busy with your business, whether it's going on good or bad. For some of you, it's your studies because you want to get good grades. Your family matters or you are when you are too busy with your relationships such that it becomes so hard for you to find time to pray, right? And interestingly, for some of you, it is when you are doing so well. Everything is sweet, sweet. Is that correct, Pastor On? Yeah. Sweet, sweet, okay. I'm trying to. <laughs> yeah, it's so well that you don't see the need of God. And of course, when you don't see the need of God, why would you think of praying? 
Why is it difficult? Why is it so hard for us to pray in every circumstance as James teaches us? Is it really because we are too tired? Is it really because we are too busy? Is it because we are really too happy that we forget? Somehow like we forget because of the overwhelming situation or overjoy situation in life that we forget about God, we forget God? Of course not, right? Let me submit to you the reason why. And here is why. Listen, it is your heart and my heart issue. Bottom line. Listen, prayer. Prayer is a posture of your heart towards God. That's prayer. You don't get this, you don't get prayer. Prayer becomes ritual. But prayer is not ritual. Prayer is relating. So prayer is a posture of your heart towards God. And so you see, when your heart does not believe and value God, when your heart feels uh, distant from God, or when your heart feels that God has distanced Himself from you, that's when you don't pray. That's when it becomes hard for you and for me to pray. Here's the bottom line. We don't pray not because we forget God. We don't pray because we neglect God. In other words, let me put it this way. You don't pray, or we don't pray, not because our heart forgets God, but our heart neglects God. Hard truth, isn't it? So remember, both in good times and bad, our hearts can easily be deceived and make us think that we don't need God, that God makes no difference in our lives, and especially this thing called praying. For some of us, even like we feel weird praying to God, right? It's like, what? Does it really depend on if I pray to God and then He does me? It's like, I thought God is... It's like... See, that is not the issue. The issue is of the heart. The issue is you doubt God. The issue is there's something disconnecting at the deep recess of your heart. And James is reminding us today that we desperately need God even more than we can ever imagine. And that's why he exhorts us and teaches us to pray in every circumstance, whether we are suffering or cheerful, take it to the Lord in prayer. Next is take it to the Lord in prayer for the sick. James exhorts us, and here is very specific, right? This is what James said in verse 14 and 15. Is anyone among you sick? Right? If, if anyone among you is sick, let him call the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. In these two verses... James is talking about praying for a specific group of people in the church. Who are they? Those that are sick. Now, most believe that this is in the context where a person is so sick that he or she is bedridden. All right? And so James exhorts this person who is sick or his or her family to call for the elders of the church to come to their place and pray over him or her. Now, of course, these elders, who are these elders? They, will, they, they, they would be the, what, the pastoral leaders and the lay leaders in the church. Now, this would also imply that one of the main roles of the church leaders is what? Prayer. That's correct. One of the main roles of the leaders, whether you are a pastoral leader, whether you, are, whether you are lay leaders, ministry leaders, one of your main, main, main calling is to be praying for the church. It's the call to pray for the church and for the people. Now, interestingly, we had this experience last week. Uh, one of our members called the pastoral leaders to go and baptize 
his father who accepted Christ in his sick bed, who was cancering with advanced uh, prostate uh, cancer, uh, such that it, 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 it spread uh, to his bones and liver. And uh, he also invited us so that we can pray for healing for his cancer. Let me show you. Uh, this is Mr. Cole, the father of uh, one of our members. And um, Mr. Cole, as you would see there, and uh, Ising and myself, along with three other lay leaders from Shalom, we went and baptized him on his bed and prayed for healing by anointing him with oil. And it was really an encouraging time for uh, both for the family uh, and those of us who went uh, to pray. Now, talking about anointing with oil, what is this thing about oil, right? Since James mentioned, let me just quickly highlight as you would know that oil is used uh, for different purposes in the scriptures, all right? Let me tell you at least two, all right? Uh, it was used as a sign or symbol of the Holy Spirit's anointing, all right? And uh, it is also used for medicinal purposes. I think in this context, it can be applied for both, all right? It can be applied for both. So question, can we still use oil to anoint those who are sick when we pray for them? Oh, well, I just did last week, all right? I just did last week in obedience and in trusting the Lord as inscripted by James. And it's so funny, right? As I was preparing for this week, for this passage, you know, I was called to pray over for healing. But please, please, my brothers and sisters, please don't misunderstand this. The power of prayer is not in the oil that is being used. It is not. James said, in fact, right in this, in this passage, James tells us that it is the what? The prayer of faith or prayer offered in faith that will, seek the one, that will save the one who is sick and God will restore or God will raise him up. Now, talking about that, I have to mention this. There are two extremes. There are two extremes um, when it comes to prayer of faith or prayer offered in faith. All right? Ready for this one? The first extreme. The first extreme is those people who believe that every time you pray without a miss, every time you pray and have enough faith, God will surely and certainly answer your prayers. In other words, listen to this. It sounds funny, but it's true. Many people believe this. In other words, you can get what you want so long as you have enough faith to ask from God. And that, my friends, is totally untrue and unbiblical. Sorry to disappoint some of you who believe in that. And I hope that you are not, you, you, you are getting it wrong from this passage. However, interestingly, the second extreme is this. For those who pray, uh, they may even pray a lot. Uh, uh, but deep down in their hearts, they actually don't believe that their prayers are going to make any difference at all. But they still pray. And you may be thinking like, what? If they don't believe in their hearts, how can they be so committed to praying for others, right? But let me submit to you, perhaps, isn't it possible? It could be that prayer for them is just a habit <laughs> prayer could be just a habit cultivated over the years of being Christian. Prayer has prayer to, to some of these people, to, to this extreme group of people, prayer has just become some kind of Christian tradition. It is good to pray. Well, I am a Christian. I'm supposed to pray. Do you believe? Well, that's not the point, but I pray. They pray, but without any confidence that prayer will make any difference. Question, do you know anyone from any of the extremes? Anyone? Perhaps, oh yeah, thanks. And perhaps, sometimes, 
you and I may even find ourselves in one of the extremes if we are not careful, right? Let's be honest. I want to submit to you that James is teaching us that the power of prayer, listen to this carefully, that the power of prayer does not come from the faith of the one who is praying. Rather, the power of prayer comes from the one we are praying to. You see, there's a difference. Who you pray to, therefore, is far more important than how much faith or conviction you pray with. So take it to the Lord in prayer. James is teaching us to pray with confidence for those who are sick, for those who are in need. Prayer of faith is to pray with confidence, but not based on our faith or on our conviction that God will always answer our prayers. Now, nothing wrong in that. Nothing wrong in having that strong conviction that God will answer our prayers if we continue to persist on to pray. Nothing wrong in that. But that's not the point of James here. James is exhorting us to pray with confidence based on the one to whom we are praying to. So you see, because sometimes for some of us, when we say you must pray in faith with faith, the focus becomes our faith rather than the faith that which the faith upon which we must what place on and that is what god so james is exhorting us to pray with confidence based on the one to whom we are praying to why because he is the all knowing all powerful all loving god all merciful all glorious and gracious god and when we do that the focus of our prayers for others will become what? God's holy purpose for the ones that we are praying for. For instance, this is how I ended up praying for Mr. Ko, the, the person that we visited this last week. This is how I prayed. I prayed, God, that which is impossible for men is possible for you. God who heals and who raises dead people. God, heal Mr. Ko. Restore him to full health. Show him and show the world that that which man says is impossible is possible for you. God, show yourself by healing. I didn't stop there. I said this. But Lord... If your plan is to bring him with you, then God of mercy, God of peace, please give him your peace. Give him the courage to face death and joyfully meet you face to face. That was my prayer. And that is how we pray with confidence. When our faith is not in ourselves, in our conviction, but in the one that we are praying to. Who are the people in the church that you can go to and pray? Who are in need that you can go and pray? Who are the ones? Are you the ones? Call the pastoral leaders. Call the leaders. Call one another. And pray for one another. For those of you, I know, you know, even in our, in our, in our church, some of us are, are, are struggling with COVID. Three of them in the family. And that's quite hard, isn't it? And well, yes, if you're struggling with COVID, you know, you, you don't want to go and, you know, pray for them. Well, but I did, you know, because I'm super immune. That's what they say, you know, I, I got COVID already anyway. I mean, I stand at the door and then I just pray. But, well, there are different ways and means we can pray, right? Just zoom in. Hey, hey, brother, sister, five minutes, ten minutes, just zoom in. We just pray together. I just pray for you. I just put, lay my hands through the screen and pray for you. So call on each other. 
Go and pray for one another. Pray with confidence in the one that we pray to. Here's the third one uh, that James teaches us to pray. Take it to the Lord in prayer for each other's sin. And this is what James said in verse 15 and 16. He said, and if, any, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that what? You may be healed. Now, every time you fall sick, all right, based on what James said, every time you fall sick, it doesn't mean that it's because you sinned. All right? That's comforting, isn't it? In general, sickness is the consequence of living in this broken and fallen world. We will all get sick once in a while. But at the same time, we don't want to dismiss the fact that at the same time, there are moments where we fall sick because of our sin. And especially those unaddressed sin in our life. That we know it's, it is, we have not confessed, we have not shared, we have not been accountable to. In other words, James is also telling us that sometimes God brings about spiritual repentance through our physical sickness. That's right. Listen, because isn't it true that when we fall sick, right, whether just flu or COVID, we are reminded of how frail and how weak our bodies can become, right? When we are like down with, with, with some sickness, that's where we are faced with reality that, oh boy, life is short. Life is so uncertain. I mean, when I was struck with COVID, I was like, what? You know, one of my leaders said, ah, Pastor, how come? Huh? You are very careful. You know how you, you always sanitize your hand. You are so careful. You always wipe and all those, how come? Huh? And I also said, how come? I also don't know how come. It's so uncertain. When we are struck with sickness, that's the moment when we feel that, wow, we are not in control, are we? Those are the fragile moments. Those are what I would say, or what James would say, receptive moments, aren't they? That this life will be gone one day, and then that's the moment where we become more receptive. We become clearer of our desperate need and of our dependence on a higher source of power. For us, that's God, right? So whenever we fall sick, brothers and sisters, friends, consider it as a loving invitation for us to reflect on our spiritual condition. And that happens best in the context of a community. You may say, what? That's right. That's why James said, confess what? Your sins to what? God, right? Did he say that? No. Surprisingly and interestingly, he said, confess your sins to one another. Now, I know, I know. It's always easy to confess to God than to someone else, right? <laughs> but hey, James says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Why? We must learn something very important here because, listen, confession of sin is not just a matter between you and God, but it is a matter between you and fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. Dietrich Bonhoeffer beautifully captured the importance of mutual confession to fellow brothers and sisters in the church and the consequence of not doing so. Here is what he said. Sin demands to have a man by himself. How true, right? It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more attractive will be the power of sin over him. And the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. Wow. That's, that's wisdom, isn't it? He continues, actually, and he said this. Sin wants to remain unknown. There you go. Can I have an amen? 
No wonder we don't want to confess our sins to one another. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. Since sin must come to the light, sometime it will come. And he said, it is better that it happens today between you and my brother, between me and my brother, rather than on the last day in the piercing light of the final judgment. Well, in some way, it sounds a bit harsh, you know, and threatening, you know. But brothers, sisters, let's, let's be honest. Sometimes we need harsh words, don't we? For the good and for the sake of our souls. It is not easy to confess our sins to someone, but James is telling us that sometimes that's the way God brings healing. So let me ask you a personal question again. Do you have someone in church with whom you can confess your sins and pray for each other? Please understand this. James is not saying that go, therefore, and confess your sins to everyone. No. But it is to confess your sins to a brother or to a sister, a band of brothers or a band of sisters. I'm so privileged in Shalom to be journeying with some of the brothers in twos and in threes. And I tell you, when we come, we share deep stuff and we confess our sins and we pray for one another. Do you have someone? You may be thinking like, what? That's, that's, that sounds weird, Pastor. That's not normal, right? No. If you, I hate to say this, but I have to say this. Brothers and sisters in Christ, especially in Christ, if you don't have anyone in church whom you can and you are confessing your sins and praying for one another, that is abnormal. That is an abnormal way of living in the life of the church because James here is so clear. The plain sense makes so much sense. I don't have to elaborate. And that's why I'm straight away saying, if we don't have brothers or sisters where we can confide, confess, and pray for one another for our sins, then we are living an abnormal life in the church. And perhaps that could be the reason for some of us why we are not receiving healing from God, whether physical or spiritual. Would that be possible? I, I, well, according to James, yes. So if you don't, James is exhorting us today to pray and find those brothers and sisters in the church with whom you can confess and pray and pray for each other and experience healing, both physical and spiritual. Well, on the other hand, on the other hand, let me ask you, are you someone that others can come and confide, confess their sins to you without any fear of judgment. Are you that brother? Are you that sister? And I hope that you would stand to be that brother, to be that sister, so that brothers and sisters who are struggling, they would come and find you. They would, they would see you approachable. They would see you without fear, that they would see that if I share with him, if I share with her, I don't think he will judge me. I don't think she will judge me. I don't think she will go around and tell everyone. I think she will embrace me. I think she will pray with me. I think she will journey with me. Would you be that person? And if you are that person, praise the Lord. And if you are that, you don't just wait and, and hey, come. Anyone who wants to confess, no. It is also our responsibility to go to each other. And, and, and when, especially when we know that someone is struggling with some kind of sin, to say, hey, brother, can I just invite you for a cup of coffee? And say, how are you, brother? I, I, I mean, really, how are you deep inside you? I sense that something is not right with you. Oh, boy. 
healing can take place. Be that brother or sister to someone in church. Now, James knows um, how we feel when we sin and somehow gets the courage to confess our sins to someone in church, right? We, we, we feel guilty, we feel ashamed, right? When, when we know about our sins and when we confess. And then somehow, when we know of our sin and when we confess, when we are like faced with our sins, we begin to wonder if God would even listen to our prayers, especially if we are struggling with some habitual sins that we know that we doubt we can overcome, right? It's like, well, I know that I will sin again. It has been the pattern all these years. So what's the point of me confessing my sins? What's the point of praying to God? Because how can God listen to my prayers with all my sins, my terrible sins? And this sin is not that I don't know. I know, but I just cannot help it. I keep on going back. How can God listen to my sin before all my sins, before Him, before myself? And our confidence just goes down. And that's why what James says next is powerful and liberating. This is what James said. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, <laughs> this is where some of you may say, you see, that's my point. That is the problem, pastor. It is the prayer of the righteous person that has great power, not an unrighteous person like me who is still struggling with my same, same, same old sins. That is why, how can I confess my sins? which I will probably continue to struggle with and pray for each other, how? I cannot even bring it, I cannot even bring myself to that place. How can God listen? How can God, how can my prayers be effective? This verse says the, the powerful effect of the prayer is those who are righteous persons. Now, this is where, my brothers and sisters, my friends, we need to understand who this righteous person is. Let me quickly tell you, there are two kinds of righteousness in the scriptures. The first one is the positional righteousness. The first one is positional righteousness. This righteousness is an objective righteousness, meaning, meaning when we put our faith in God, God declares, when we, put our, when we, when we place our faith in Christ, God declares you, declares me, Righteous based on the finished work of Christ on the cross. That is positional righteousness. You don't earn it. God gives to you. God imputes the righteousness of Christ upon you. The second one is called the what? Practical righteousness. Practical righteousness is a subjective righteousness, meaning it is the way we live our lives in obedience. It is our obedience to the biblical principles on the day-to-day -day basis, how we live in obedience to the biblical teachings and principles on a day-to-day -day basis. That is practical righteousness. When James said the prayer of the righteous person, he is not talking about someone who has the practical righteousness. But he's talking about the positional righteousness. That's right. In other words, the prayer of someone who has been made right with God through Christ has the great power. And brothers and sisters, let me remind all of us again that you and I, no matter how we struggle with sin, we have been made right with God in Christ. James mentions Elijah as an example, right? Remember, this is what he said in verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Question, my brothers and sisters, how can Elijah be someone like us? How was, how, I mean, how can a great prophet of God like Elijah be like us? He was a devout man of God who performed miracles after miracles that we can't even imagine. So you see, it is very clear that James cannot be implying that Elijah is like us in the sense of the practical righteousness because we are not. The only righteousness that Elijah and all of us share in common is the what? Positional righteousness with God in Christ. 
So James is teaching and exhorting us to what? Pray with confession of sins. Because there is great power in such confessional prayer. James is saying that we have the access of the same power that Elijah experienced through his power because of our positional, not practical righteousness in God through Christ. So don't let your sin stop you from praying. Instead, let your sin drive you crazy enough to go to the place of prayer to God because no matter how sinful you are, you and I, we are already made right with God in Christ. And He listens to our prayers based on not how much good we have been that is important, but no, He listens to our prayers because of that positional righteousness, that imputed righteousness of Christ in us, that is our confidence, praying in confidence through our confession. Finally, James exhorts us to take it to the Lord in prayer for the ones who are swaying or wandering off from the truth. In the last two verses, this is what James said. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders away from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from the death and will cover a multitude of sin. Now, this reminds me of John chapter 6. Do you remember? Anyone remember John chapter 6? Where many people who were following Jesus, they all of a sudden turned their back on Jesus after hearing the hard teachings of Jesus. Remember? And John even tells us that even the 12 disciples of Jesus were about to what? Uh, you know, everybody's leaving. We better leave as well. You know, if not, we will be caught in, you know, in the middle. So here's an important thing that James is highlighting, and that is this. All of us, brothers and sisters, my friends, all of us, without exception, are prone to wonder from God. We are. We do. Question, why is that so? Let me suggest. It is because we go through sufferings. We all go through sufferings of various kinds. Sometimes we go through, and also because sometimes we go through exceptionally good times that we forget God, right? And because sometimes we fall ill physically and spiritually. Therefore, in my opinion, James is also teaching us to pray with confession for those brothers and sisters who may be wandering away from God. And here's something I'd like you to take note. Don't be quick to judge. Don't be quick to judge those who are starting to wander away from God. There must be a reason why that is happening. And we all know this, right? Trials of various kinds in life, especially those that prolong, right? For many years, and you don't see God so-called rescuing you. When you go that, it can easily make any one of us wander from God. And so James is exhorting us to restore one another whenever anyone starts to wander away from God. As a church, my brothers and sisters in Christ, all of us have been given the responsibility by God to restore one another whenever we wander. So remember this, if you wander away from God, listen to this carefully, if any one of you wander away from God, expect a brother or a sister from the church to go after you and restore you back to God. Isn't that comforting? I don't know about you, but it's comforting to know that kind of thing. It's so comforting to know that what? There will be always someone from the church who will pursue me if I start to wander from the Lord. Wow. Isn't that what the church of Christ is supposed to be? Can we be that kind of church? The answer is yes, provided we immerse ourselves and learn to pray with compassion for one another. This is why James concludes his letter by exhorting the early church and us to take prayer seriously so that we will take everything to the Lord in prayer. Let me end by sharing this story. A story that is told of the first converts to Christianity in one of the regions in Africa. They were very diligent about praying. In fact, the believers had each their own special place outside the village. It's like a prayer hut or like a prayer room where everyone would go out of the village to go there in solitude and pray. The villagers will usually walk out of the village and they would walk in their own 
private footpath through the bush, through the grass. And so, when grass begins to grow over any one of these footpaths, all right, it becomes clear, it becomes evident that the person to whom it belongs was not coming to the prayer heart and therefore was not praying much. Now, these Christians were very concerned for each other's spiritual welfare. So, they came up with this idea, a unique custom to help each other be accountable and make sure that everyone is walking out every single day to go to the prayer heart to pray. And that is this. Whenever anyone notices, right, whenever anyone notices an overgrown grass on the path leading to the prayer room, they would go to this person, okay? They would go to this person and lovingly warn by saying this, my friend, there is grass on your path. And, and, and what they simply mean is that, my friend, you are losing your prayer. You are not coming to pray in solitude. And that means you are losing God's power for your life. Question, how about you and how about me? Is there grass growing on our path as well? And let us give permission to each other, right? Let us give permission to each other to ask this question because there may be some of us whose grass are overgrown. So think about your prayer life and answer this question. Is there grass on your path to your prayer room? If so, it's about time to walk the path and make prayer a lifestyle. It's about time to make prayer the main dish and not just an add-on item in the menu of our life. And when that happens, you and I can be certain to experience triumph through trials. That's my prayer and that's my hope for all of us through this series of messages. And with that, let me bless you. Instead of praying for you right here now, I want to share a song with you. And that song will be my prayer of blessing to each one of you. And this song is a summary of what we have heard today. That is the backbone of what we want to experience. Triumph through trials. Sit back, listen prayerfully, and let God speak to you. Amen.